Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Don Lively, who's the co founder and COO of Fullstack. Welcome, Don. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. And this will be a little bit of a meta conversation because uh, Fullstack is a sponsor of this show, which we won't play the ad during this episode. Oh, come on. At least I don't think we will. So we won't do that to the listener. And then I'm also uh, a little bit involved in Fullstack. Just so, a smidge. Just a smidge. Yeah. So uh, we'll try not to break the, the third wall as part of this. So why don't we start with a quick pitch for Fullstack and what you and the team do? Sure. We are a professional employer organization, also known as PEO. We provide full-service HR support to small, mid-sized growing companies, particularly in the tech space centered currently in Indiana. So that would be payroll services, benefits administration, human resource block and tackle, those types of services. And who's your target customer? Our target customers are growing mid-sized, small, medium-sized companies that are looking to grow in the tech space in central Indiana. Okay. What makes a PEO different from other companies who do outsourced HR or help with benefits or any of the other things that I could be looking at as a founder as I'm starting? One of the things I like most about PEOs is that we offer a one-stop solution, a full comprehensive suite of offerings. And what's nice about Fullstack, since we're targeting the tech community, we're also offering additional services that are catered to the tech community, growing and evolving themselves and providing a great customer experience to their own employees. Why'd you start Fullstack? Because I absolutely love the PEO industry. I've been involved in it in one way or another for about 15 years now. Also, I was approached by great ethical business people, and I would rather, if I'm ever going to start a company, these are the people I wanted to start a company with, and these are the people that I wanted to be doing it with. If not, then then when? Thank you. Hit me with some current status for Fullstack. Uh, this could be any kind of vanity metric you want to share. This could be uh, the size of the team, number of customers, worksite employees, revenue, uh, funds raised, any, anything that will help somebody who's, who's listening understand where you and the full stack team are on the journey. Okay. So we are a fairly small but powerful group of people inside our walls. We have you serving on a part-time limited basis as our CEO currently. Um, I am the COO. So when I'm asked what I do, I basically say I do the things. You do everything. <laughs> I, I do the things. I get the things done that need to get done. We have an amazing uh, part-time HR specialist who is currently, for example, masterminding our entire open enrollment process. And without her, I don't know what we would do. We have a wonderful VP of business development that is very aligned with the needs of small business owners. And so he's a great person to talk with and work with. We have also brought on a part-time accounting person, and then we also have a marketing intern. So it's a staff of five of us. We are currently servicing about 250 worksite employees. We are in 11 states currently and looking to grow that footprint. And yeah, it's probably, let's see here. Let me do the math in my head really quick. We have approximately 42 clients right now. When most people say approximately, they would say 40, not 42. 42 sounds very specific. Well, but I like to be specific with my numbers. And yeah, so yeah, I know. We're, we're right at 42 <laughs> right now. I'm well aware of that. <laughs> All right. When you think of competitors in the space, who or what comes to mind? 
For me, a competitor is going to be anything from a local broker or agency that's providing outsourced benefit services to the plug-and-play HR payroll platforms that are super popular right now, all the way up to nationwide PEOs and local PEOs. And when you think of, let's take... I guess I heard three different things there. I heard uh, brokers, I heard platforms, and I heard other PEOs. So let's just quickly riff through those. Uh, How do you differentiate against other PEOs? Why are you different, special, unique, and how do you get that message out to your customers? Well, our number one focus is on transparency. And our number two focus, well, I don't really know that I necessarily want to quantify them that way because it's equally important that we're focusing on the tech industry. And here in Indiana, and then wherever those individuals happen to be hiring, you what, know, their staff. What does transparency mean? Transparency means that you what are what you see is what you get. As far as our fees, we do not charge markups on, for example, our federal unemployment or our state unemployment. We don't charge any markups um, or administrative fees on top of workers' compensation. Our health plan costs that we receive from our broker, we pass through like directly to the client so that they don't see any markups on their health costs. Same thing for dental vision. Take your pick. Give me some examples of some of the platforms in the market that you would compete against. There's Gusto. There's still some people out there using like Flock. There's still people out there using Zenefits. Uh, So those are still around and kicking. Oh yeah. Forgot about Zenefits. Yeah. Good times. So are they like still taking over the world or are they like um, I think that they got a little bit handed to them when they had their whole broker issue a couple years ago. Yeah. And it really made them stop, think, pause, refocus. But I mean, we still get notifications. I, you know, disclaimer used to use Zenefits back in the day in 2016. And I mean, we still get notifications of you need to update your information or you won't have access to the portal anymore. Yeah. So they're still out there. They're still doing their thing. All right. How do you differentiate against those? Well, we have people, so that's super nice. (laughs) So you can actually get a hold of a live person that's going to be willing to talk with you, work through your issues, knows your account, knows your business, knows your employees for the most part, and can work through those solutions and be customizable to what you need, not just a blanket, here's a best practice, and that's your answer, and take it or leave it. And then uh, you said brokers. What's different between working with a PEO and working with a broker? For the most part, brokers are just going to handle benefits questions and benefit situations as they arise. I love most broker relationships. Brokers are wonderful overall, but they're not going to give you the HR support. They're not going to give you the payroll support and all those things that you need when you're truly trying to employ employees the right way. Walk me through the client's experience in working with a PEO. So if I'm... Like, what do I, what does it actually feel like? So you sign me up as a client and I'm like, I'm, I'm super excited now. I get to offer maybe benefits to my employees for the first time. What is that? Like, what does that actually look like? Walk me through my experience in either interacting with you, with, with software, with a, you know, with a team. What, like, what, what is the experience? Sure. Um, it, it depends upon what all you're wanting with us. So, for example, if you're wanting workers' compensation with us, there's a spreadsheet that you have to fill out. We have to have a few years' worth of loss runs. You know, certain things that any carrier is going to require in order to approve you. If I'm brand new and I don't have any loss runs? Then we get a letter on letterhead stating that you have no loss runs and you've been in business for X amount of time. You know, fairly, fairly simple process. 
for the benefit underwriting, again, it depends on how large of a group you are, but you would go through the underwriting process to be approved for benefits at whatever, you know, tier or rate happens to be appropriate for the health of your group. And and if I don't know even enough to know what tiers and rates are? Then we walk you through what the cost is going to be each month of premium for the plan. And then you would pick and say, I want to contribute X amount towards my employees' benefits we take that information, we put it into our HIS, as well as building out all the other specs and all the other information related to you. And then we create the employee onboarding experience through our HRIS. Yeah, what's an HRIS? HR information, human resource information system. Got it. Right. It is not an HRIS system, which I will tell you is a point of contention for me because that's redundant. I think not, I say that sometimes. It's not don't an HRIS I? system, it's I, an HRIS. I might say that sometimes. I don't know if you do or not. No, I'm going to do it on purpose. Just, <laughs> just, so you know. just to code me. Yeah. Thanks. Um, all right. You're going to walk me through benefits. You'll get that set up in open enrollment it, through the HRIS system. And then uh, <laughs> what are you? What, what's next? What else? That on the client side is pretty much it until your first payroll is ready to go. Okay. So your employees will go in. They'll enter their information. We'll get their documents squared away so that they can we can complete their I-9, get them approved to be employees. Um, and most of the time, this is where we hear about how simple of an experience we are, how nice it is just to use our interface and be able to go in and enroll your benefits and elect everything you need to elect and go from there. Uh, when it comes time for the first payroll to be ready, depending on what cycle you're going to be on, are you going to be biweekly and pay a week in arrears? Are you going to be semi-monthly and pay on the 15th and the end of the month? Whichever way you want to set it up, then we send you your standard reports as well as, you know, sign you in to have access to the system where you can go and look at anything you want to on your own. We walk you through the reports, make sure everything aligns for you from a cost perspective and what you're expecting. And we process the first payroll. And we create your handbook. We create, you know, the different block and tackle HR pieces and go from there. What are some of the conversations you have uh, with founders or teams that don't have to do with those tactical HR things? An example might be talking about a uh, compensation strategy for a team, a PTO strategy yeah. for a team, for example. Yeah, I was going to say PTO is <laughs> always a doing huge that one. one. Right now. Well, but I mean, even if you're not doing it right now, it's one of the most common conversations to come up because there is such a trend now for unlimited PTO what should you do? How do you manage within that brave new world? Because so many different states and localities have leave laws and have everything else that exists now. So if you want to be one of those forward thinking companies and have unlimited time off, how do you balance that with the needs of leave laws and everything else that exists? I mean, it, it, 20 years ago, the discussion used to be, should I have PTO or should I have separate vacation sick and personal time? That was the discussion 20 years ago. So it's morphed over the years. But for an HR professional, it's probably one of the most common questions that comes up. What are some of those other common questions that come up? There's a lot related to employee relations and performance management, performance feedback. Uh, compensation does come up. Should your, we have job descriptions? Stop. What's your advice? Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I want to, I want to, you don't get to keep free advice. You, yeah. You don't get to keep rolling. Free recorded advice. Yeah. So if I have a small team, uh, we're four to eight people, what do we do around performance feedback, performance management? Well, ideally you would be having regular check-ins 
with the team. Regular meaning? Whatever frequency or basis you think is possible for you as a business owner. So I'm not going to say you need to meet weekly with everybody or you need to meet bi-weekly with everybody. What can you actually commit to and what can you actually follow through on and make your priority? Because if you commit to something and then you cannot follow through on it, that's going to be one of the worst things and one of the most demotivating things for your team. So if it's 15 minutes every other week that you can meet face-to-face with somebody and that's five minutes of what are you bringing to the table? Five minutes of what are they bringing to the table? And then five minutes on next steps. Whatever that case may be, have some type of structure and follow through on it regularly. And the whole reason why I say that is you want to avoid surprises and conversations and letting things fester. And if you're having that regular face-to-face time, you're building camaraderie with the person, you're building a connection with them more than just passing each other or having to do a fly-by email, or maybe we can get together on this one topic for five minutes this one time, but you're not building regular rapport if you don't have standing one-on-one time. How do I give somebody critical feedback? Very carefully. Do it. So Mike, I truly appreciate us working together. I appreciate everything that you do for our companies. I think that you are a great leader by example of the way in which you conduct your own life and conduct your own professional you know, needs and everything that you need to do and get done in a day. I think that sometimes you avoid conversations that are key and crucial with people. Um, Shit, we're I doing this for you, real, huh? <laughs> you right. asked. Yeah, let's do it. I, I can give you a few examples <laughs> if you would like, but we're recorded on a podcast, so I think I'll pass on that. But that doesn't make me want to work with you any less If anything, it makes me want to lean in. And what I do and how I manage to that is I make sure I ask you if there's something I've missed or if there's something that I'm not doing that I should be doing. So I open the door for you to be able to give me that critical feedback if needed. But that's how two working adults work together. You learn where others are strong and where others could be leaned upon some more. Interesting. So you see me avoiding maybe crucial conversations with others and you immediately map that on to what crucial conversations am am I avoiding with you? It's like, it's not quite in that paranoid way because that almost sounds paranoid. Maybe. I I don't know if it, I don't know. But it's more of a, but it's more of a, if I'm going as closely as we're working together, I need that feedback so that I can learn and grow. Therefore, I'm going to be more inclined to have a direct conversation with you and draw it out of you, particularly if there's something that I'm not Hmm. nailing 100% of the time. That's why I tend to ask you those questions when we have our meetings, when we have our one-on-ones. Yeah, don't worry. You're not nailing it 100% of the time. <laughs> I know. You know why? Why? Because you're in a startup and there's only three of us and there's just not enough. Like, we don't have enough. Well, but I mean, that has been my single hardest thing with a startup is getting used to the fact that I can't be perfect. If I'm processing payroll with a 99% accuracy, there's still going to be errors that are going to happen. And getting okay with that because that's not how my brain works. I don't accept any type of failings or anything along those lines. It has been the most humbling experience these last two years to mess up over and over again on certain things. Now, now everybody's going to flock to us. I want to use this as a client. Just to be clear, you, while you are messing <laughs> up on, on all sorts of things, it's not payroll. No, it's yeah, not yeah. payroll. It's not payroll. But if there, I mean, <coughs> say we've had three incidents happen this year across hundreds of thousands of transactions at this point. That still doesn't feel good to me because I want everybody to have a fantastic experience. Yeah. You know, but you make it right as quickly as you can, as efficiently as you can. And, you know, with humility and grace and go forward from there. Yeah, but that's not going to get 
fixed at scale, right? So, I mean, you've been in a bigger PEO in the past and you've had teams working for you and you've had teams doing payroll, not, you know, not, it's not just being done with, you know, one person. Mistakes still happen. Absolutely. Yeah. So why would it be any different? If it's your hand on the keyboard. Because I'm the one doing it. Oh, and I like to be perfect. Because you're Mary Poppins. Got it. <laughs> no, I am not Mary Poppins. Practically perfect in every way. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's insightful. What? Uh, so what do you, so if, if that's been one of the biggest challenges to date, what do you think the next big challenge is? What, what's the, what's the thing coming that you're going to struggle with in this business? I currently vacillate between we're going to be a crazy success and we're going to be an abysmal failure. I am a personality that I have always prepared myself for worst case scenario. And then when life happens, I'm okay with whatever, because I've thought about these 14 different scenarios. And so it's not going to be the worst, but it's going to be somewhere halfway up the chain. And I can handle that because I've mentally prepared myself. That's not healthy. (laughs) And it's taken me a really long time to realize that. Probably the last few years of my life have been when I've realized that being in this business and that we can't control everything. So for me, it's my own personal professional struggle to be okay with whatever happens to come and pivot and do what we need to do in order to grow the business and have it be a success. But you know, you know, I think we could be an abysmal failure. And you know, I think we could be ridiculously successful, right? I know, but you're you and I'm me. (laughs) Got it. Okay. All right. I mean, you just asked me what my biggest thing is. That's my biggest thing is I I go back and forth where I have days where I'm like, this is going to be fantastic. And then I have days where it's like, oh, God, we got to deal with insert name of state issue or tax issue or whatever it happens to be type of issue that comes up. That we never have tax issues. To be clear, we love the IRS and everything the IRS does. They are our besties. The IRS are our besties. We absolutely love them. Interesting. All right. Uh, I want to test a new uh, question on you that I'm thinking about using on this uh, on the podcast more. Do you have product market fit with full stack? And if the answer to that is yes, how do you know that? Oh, that's a great question because that's not an area for me that has been anything that I've been accustomed to questioning. Product market fit is definitely more your area and more of what you're into. So... I'm probably going to fail you abysmally at trying to answer that. I mean, I think that we do. What, I hear. What would product market fit look like for a PEO? Just forget about full stack for a second. I'm, I'm describing to you a successful PEO in Chicago. Uh, what does it look like? And it's a startup. So it's, it, it's not, it's not massive yet. Right. It's not a big, it's not in disparity. It's, you know, it's a little guy. Well, I mean, I think that they would be, at least break even, if not profitable, within the first couple of years. I would also think that they've found if they're offering to a particular industry or particular class code of workers' comp or whatever the case may be, that they're getting traction within that. See, now I'm applying it to us. I can't help but not there's think method, that way. There's method to my madness. I would say we're finding our product market fit currently. I think that we've had some good wins with some of the clients we've brought on and we're having multiple clients that are growing and are growing quickly. And so I think that's as good of a litmus test as anything else at this point. It's just whether we are, we have a big enough 
tech industry here, companies that are looking for the services we provide, we can get into them, we can get sticky with them, and we can stay with them. Because I mean, what we're looking at for the end of the year this year, we're looking at potentially three clients leaving us. Two of them have gotten acquired, and one of them is going to be operating without any employees. We're running 100% on our client retention rate at this point, based on renewals for 2020. I think that's as much of an indication as fit as anything else. It's a great answer. See, you didn't know how to answer that. Just needed to get there. If I gave you $500,000 right now to spend on this business, where would you spend it? Figuring out our marketing strategy. Having an allocation of a certain percentage of that to marketing. Having initial people who can do the setup of the cold calls and that lead gen that we need. I wouldn't have spent the full 500000 on that, so I'm still thinking with what I have left over. I probably would use a lot more of it towards infrastructure and what getting us... Unpack that. What do you mean? We're not at the point yet with our size that we need a help desk ticketing system, for example, to manage client and employee issues when they come in. But we will be at some point. Um, you mean they can't all just call your cell phone 24-7? <laughs> well, like right now, for example, I think it's only ring three times while we've been doing the podcast. So, you know, that, that's fair because it's the most wonderful time of the year with open enrollment. But uh, yeah, there's just things with infrastructure that we need to be thinking about and we need to be forward thinking on. But not necessarily even for 2020. That's great. That's not even on my radar. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah. That's it? Marketing and infrastructure? Well, infrastructure leads to headcount, so yes. All right. That's what I mean by infrastructure. Yeah, that's good. What am I missing? What would I add to that list? Sure. Um, I'm So I'm not so sure about product market fit, so I, I might want to run a couple more experiments, specific things that I would think about experimenting with. Well, one, I, I would want to lean into our current theory that um, we can build a better PEO for tech companies. So I think I would invest some of that in maybe non-revenue generating, maybe maybe they are revenue generating someday, but um, I think I'd, I'd run some experiments around um, what are some of the things that our tech clients would really like. So right now, everything we do is focused on kind of talent largely focused on talent. I shouldn't say everything is, but it's largely focused on talent. So I would go after maybe some of the community aspects, which some of our clients have asked us for uh, specifically. So are there ways that we can get like developers within different organizations together to collaborate, kind of like meetups, but maybe something else. Are there ways we can get business development professionals, marketers across some of our clients to collaborate? Again, if they're all in the same industry, focused on the same kinds of problems. And they're all clearly, if they're working with us, they're in a pretty, they're kind of in the same size. And, you know, like it, it is a great litmus test for, are they going to be good comps in terms of peers? Because there's, you know, Salesforce isn't working with us, right? Like, so, you know, you're clearly going to be working with a peer. But to me, I, I do think there's some things we can do there around communities. So I might invest in that a little bit to see if that, if that makes us more attractive to new clients, prospects who would potentially come in or, you know, is the reality... You know, Mike, Michael Cloran always says this thing when we talk about employee compensation, right? He always says, and, and he's doing this from data. He, he's got tons of data from other business owners and from his past that, you know, when you go to sit down and negotiate 
compensation with an employee, particularly in the tech community, the the number that they remember is their salary, right? right? So you can, you can add up all the other benefits that they might get, health benefits, paid lunches, you know, a chef in-house, childcare, beer on tap, like all those other things at the end of the day when you ask uh you know, a a developer, what do they make? They're probably going to tell you their salary, right? They might, if they have enough equity, they might mention their equity compensation, but there's a lot of developers who have, you know, options that are so small that, you know, it's probably not a big factor in their, the way they think about compensation. But given that Michael's default behavior, then whenever, whenever we talk about benefits and compensation, stuff like that, is he's always like, hey, just give it to him in salary, right? Like, that's the thing they're going to remember when they get a job offer from somebody else, and they compare that to what they're making here. They're not going to be thinking about the professional chef that makes them lunch every day. We do not have a professional chef that makes us lunch every day, just, no, we just to be clear. But, but we have um, some good restaurant options but, nearby. But none of that stuff kind of gets factored in, right? And so I wonder in the PEO world, if that's the same thing is true. So we talk about all of the other things we can do for tech companies as um, services and offerings. But I wonder if at the end of the day, when health rates come back, and this is what you're going to be paying for your employees' health care, how much all that other stuff matters? How much more would you be willing to pay for all these other softer things? Um, and by software, I mean soft ROI. There is clearly a return on investment. There's value in those things. Right, of course. Um, but it's not nearly as measurable as our healthcare. Our healthcare costs went up by 20 grand this year, right? Or Here's our administrative fee. That exactly. We're charging per head. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so that's the thing I want to test. Okay. Does that other stuff matter as much? Would somebody actually come to us and say, you know what? I'm willing to pay a little bit more for payroll processing because it gets me access to value these, added services. Yeah, I, it gets me access to these other things. I don't know that the answer to that is true yet. And you just made a face, so you don't know. You don't right. think it's true either. Yeah, I don't know, right? Well, like, it's it's so hard in the industry. Um, NAPO, the National or- Organization, National Association for BEOs. It's you know their current campaign is interesting because it's all around peace of mind. And they're trying to target peace of mind. But you listen to my boyfriend talk about that. He starts laughing because he's like, no, that's funeral homes and funeral planning. That's not what PEOs should be doing. And that's not what they should be targeted to. So what is the right answer? What is our right avenue? We don't want to be competing on cost all the time. We don't want to be competing on price because that's a losing battle. And everybody drags everybody else down. So where do we find our value add and how do we, you know, I agree. project that. So that's one of the experiments I would want to run. I would want to look at other problems within the, within a small business. So, um, you know, today we're very focused on HR, which is good. We should be, we're a PEO. That makes a lot of sense. If you think of that same entrepreneur with eight employees, We've helped them with HR so that in, in our whole pitch is we're going to focus on your people so you can focus on your business, right? So what are the other things that are distracting that founder from being able to focus on finding their product market fit and getting their thing done? So the other thing I would want to play around with is are there other services maybe outside of HR that we could step in and help with um, to to help take pain away from that founder and that founding team and remove friction so that they can move faster going after the thing that they want to go after. And I think there's probably some reasonable experiments we could run there too. Uh, and, and 
probably will. So I think that uh, that would be my answer. Very good. Onward to 2020. Yeah. It's coming like a freight train. How do you think about positioning full stack when you're in a sales meeting? What do you say? What makes us unique and special? Well, we've already talked a little bit about what I think makes us unique and special. I think there's a focus on customer experience, whether that's the new client experience being as easy as possible or the new employee's experience being as easy as possible to come on board, but also explaining everything appropriately and not just here, go check this box. Isn't that what every PEO would say? Wouldn't all the PEOs say they're focused on customer experience and client and an employee experience? They can try. Man, I just I just went right after you with that question. I would have never done that to a different podcast guest. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's fine. Um, You're fine. I didn't even think anything about yeah, it. Yeah, okay. I mean, the point is they can try, but I believe in what we're doing. Otherwise, I wouldn't say it and I wouldn't lead with it. So I would lead with that. I would lead with the transparency piece. Um, I would lead with our niche in tech and tech industry and our tech experience. Those would be our, my three things. But really, if I'm in a sales meeting, you know, nine times out of 10, I've been brought in as kind of the subject matter expert to answer the questions that they have so that they can get more comfortable with our professionalism and the services we provide. So that's not really my, necessarily my role at the table. Yeah, Daniel's done that for you already. Yeah. He set that stage. You're the closer. And I don't even drink coffee. Yeah, exactly. What's wrong with you? Pay me an iced tea and I'll be happy. You no take backs. (laughs) Crap. What are you doing right now from a professional development perspective? What are you doing to try to get better? I have the boring things that I have to do. So if it's like my Indiana health and life license, I have to do continuing ed and continuing ed credits related that to that certification. not what I'm asking about. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm like buying time and just filling time okay, with that right sorry. now. You're fine. No, you're good. I actually was going to ask you if you have a few good books to read that you would recommend right now in the HR and people space. In the HR and people space? Yes. Specifically? Specifically. Talent, talent wars, anything along those lines. I've been big on communication books for the last two years now. And I'm wanting to pivot and get away, you know, crucial conversations, radical candor, all those types of things. I've been wanting to get away from those though and pivot now and get into talent. So if you have any you'd recommend, we'll take them. What do you mean by that? Unpack that for me. When you say uh, get into talent, what does that mean? It could be anything from retention tactics. It could be anything from performance and performance feedback. I mean, my problem is I get inundated from every day with multiple emails, HR cloud, HR knowledge, SHRM, HRCI, this attorney, that attorney, law 360, whatever the case may be. So I keep up with all of those because we have to, right? That's the nature of the beast. But then beyond that, what is really empowering people to do their jobs and be satisfied with their jobs and want to stay at their jobs? Awesome. I know how to answer this. Okay. And it has nothing to do with the word talent. Okay. It's not going to be in an HR book at all. Okay. To me, my answer to that would be to find ways to make the work... The, the, you have to find ways to make the company's work meaningful 
to the to the to the employee to the person. What's my tie-in to the person doing the work? Right. What's my tie-in? So you're talking top down. Not even not even just what's my tie-in. Sometimes what are we even doing here? Like, um, yeah, I remember in college, I worked at an insurance company. I I was in like uh, 20, 20, 20, maybe 21. I don't even know that I knew how insurance worked. I to be clear, I clearly don't still understand how health insurance works, but uh, it, it is a big, crazy black box that is hard to see into. But but just insurance in general, like, I, you know, I was working at a at, at a reinsurance company. Uh, so what's even worse than an insurance company? A reinsurance company, company. <laughs> in terms of like understanding what the heck do we even do here? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not even like, what's my role in that? It's just like, do I even understand the business? So I think, you know, my first answer to that would be to the, the more you understand the business or the employees understand the business, that's going to make a difference. And so some great books for that, uh, you know, the great game of business by Jack Stack, uh, which is all about open book accounting. And he, he's written, I think it's Jack Stack. He's written a bunch of books on open book accounting and, um, how do you make your business the fundamental financials and the financial model of your business visible to your employees? I, I think that's a great primer on that. And it's very industry agnostic. Like he goes into manufacturing companies, he goes into professional services, you know, he's all over the place. And so for me, in terms of examples, uh, so for me, that's like a great primer on like, do you even understand what we do here and what moves the needle here? And what's, you know, what are the basic fundamentals of our financials and how do we get paid and how do we make money and and what where does that money go after we make it and stuff like that so to me that would be number one i do think there's a different type of communication book than like uh crucial conversations uh which is great if you've never read that you should read that but that's very like conflict management and how do i give you difficult feedback or let you give me difficult feedback better there's also like uh I want to say executive communication, but that is a crappy term. Um, but like, how do you communicate a vision to right. a bunch of people, not in the sense of like a pitchy vision, like you're not selling, but the big picture, wh- yeah. where are we going? How are we going to get there? How is this a stepping stone to what the end game is? Everybody knows what that end game is. So this is a little bit more of like wh- my why, like, why am I here? Right. So at Alonco, um, it's, you know, we're going to end world hunger. Right. Yeah. And uh, and then what's Alonco's role in ending world ending world hunger hunger? Well, they, they do pharmaceuticals for animals. Right. And so then, you know, why would you be at Alonco? Because you believe in, you know, like and, and so it's all that kind of stuff. Right. And so if you're if you're good at that, which Jeff Simmons at Alonco is really good at. Right. Like you're good at painting that vision and then helping other people around you see where they fit within it. I think there's some good books on that. Uh, for sure. Uh, there's some books that uh, really talk about tying that into like, you know, a big vision, like a big, hairy, audacious goal. Jim Collins has some stuff out there on that. Pitch Anything is actually a, an interesting book that has components of that. That one gets a little bit salesy, uh, for sure. I shouldn't say a little bit salesy. That one gets a lot salesy, but it, but it certainly has the, some of the same components, the thing that you're trying to do by painting a big vision. Um, and then there's the smaller version of that, of like, can you can you deliver a vision that is so simple, you don't have to paint it things and that one would be like um yeah i think jocko jocko willink does a good job of uh in his books um 
extreme ownership and the dichotomy of leadership. I, the dichotomy of leadership is probably better at this. A good job of, you know, what, when you're trying to communicate these things, how do you make it so simple that you don't have to constantly be repainting the vision and talking about, you know, like it, it's just like, no, we're doing this. And, and, and everybody understands like yeah. that's what we're doing. That's the vision. And then I think, you know, to the extent that it gets into, re, you know, retention. So if you're doing that, if everybody understands the core business that you're in and everybody understands the vision for where that core business is going and they understand how the financials work within that business, which is, should be true, whether it's a not-for-profit, a for-profit, whatever, then to me, the retention problem is now removing obstacles. Because if if everybody understood what you were doing, how it worked and where they fit in it, and they and they still want it out, Either you should also want them out because they're not a good fit or they're leaving because of some obstacle. Yeah, they feel pain. So I don't like my manager. I don't like the coworkers. I hate this tool. I hate that, you know, like, or it's a a problem you can't control. My spouse is moving to Colorado. I'd like to stay married. So I'm moving to Colorado too, right? Like, which is out of your hands. So I, I think for me, if you can get those big things right, then everything else just becomes blocking and tackling and making sure you don't have disincentives in your environment that are forcing people out. And I don't know, there is a book for that, right? That's, that's just paying attention to people and listening. Being part of it. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. Well, I got long. All right. Well, well played there. Thank you. No way to turn the mic around. Nice. Um, What's next for Full Stack in 2020? Growth, expansion, new states, more employees, more people to serve, hopefully hiring more additional people. Again, talking infrastructure, marketing, expansion, taking over the world. That's the plan. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. The 101st. You are the 101st episode. And I noticed you did not bring me champagne. I did not bring you champagne. I cannot try to top Kristen. I wouldn't even try. All right. Right on. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Mike. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.